Welcome to Calvary Apostolic Lighthouse, reflecting God's light in a world of darkness. Join in with us each week as we study, search, and grow in the Word of the Lord. It is our prayer today that God blesses your life through the words you hear and that you find strength and encouragement for your journey. God bless and enjoy. you're here. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Would you put your hands together? Welcome Brother Gillum and the Lord. Praise the Lord, everyone. God bless you. You can be seated uh, for now anyway. Uh, so glad that you're here uh, this morning. And, uh, we've been, been enjoying the nice weather that we are having for March, uh, really, really nice. The March wind has not started blowing yet, and I certainly hope I don't give you the impression that it started blowing this morning. Uh, but we, uh, we are uh, beginning a, a series here this morning, hopefully by the help of the Lord, that uh, that I can complete. I hope I haven't started a project that's uh, that I haven't counted the cost and I'm able to complete. Uh, so I'll tell you what. Let's begin. Bible, the dilemma, the problem, the quandary, the predicament. Now, uh, I'd like to say that to, to many of the uh, more experienced and the scholarly elite, the Bible, the dilemma, may be rather mundane and uh, maybe worrisome, wearisome. Because they know it already. But this is a sincere response from one of the victims that uh, is among the ordinary common folk that did not know it already. Of course, it's meant for those that don't know it now. And maybe, like Peter said, a good refreshing of the memory will not hurt for those that are kind of informed. But for those that do not know it now, for it is the uninformed who are not aware of what has been going on in the spiritual sparring ring that are the most vulnerable to the doubt-producing conditions that we hope to describe here in this morning, and as we go further along, uh, Lord willing. This situation is what I believe 
not only to be a major issue, but a serious problem. If not for others, it has been for me. The Bible, the dilemma, is not meant and it's not an in-depth plunge into all the vital areas that are involved. For we do not wish to weary the unlearned that need not know so much, as the King James translator said. Yet there will be references for those who wish to know more. Would you like to stand for the initial reading of the Word of God this morning and honor the Word of the Lord by doing so? In the book of Acts, chapter number 13, and verse number one. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, Syria, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, Simeon that was called Neger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul which we know as Paul. Would you lay your hopefully King James Version Bible aside and let's lift our hands into the air and let's ask God to direct our hearts here this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for the privilege that we have to gather together in your name. Oh, God, we ask you to direct our hearts, enlighten our hearts, Create a love for thy word, God, over, above, and beyond what we have ever had before to this day. Oh, God, let the words that are spoken and heard this morning have anointing, have oomph, have unction. And, God, let understanding be imparted that is over and above and beyond the words that are heard. Thank you this morning, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. And uh, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, now the early church was blessed with many capable, uh, though the Bible don't say it, I assume they were Bible teachers. They were there at Antioch. I don't think they taught courses in psychology, mathematics, or a lot of things not pertaining to the Word of God. I think there were Bible teachers. There were prophets. And a teacher's job is to, uh, is to teach. That's profound, but that's what it is. His job is to teach. And as a result of his teaching, he is to build confidence the disciples' confidence in the Word of God. Uh, 
And this series is an attempt to do just that. There's some very disturbing questions that are being implanted into the hearts of the listening and reading, uh, reading audience of some of today's Bible teachers and preachers of the Word of God. Not all, but some. And these scholastic sounding verbal injections can be a hazardous can be hazardous to your health, your spiritual health. And they can be a serious threat to the faith that cometh by hearing the Word of God. The method that's so in vogue is often a subtle undermining of one's ability to believe the Word of God. Because after they are infected, they are uncertain what really is the Word of God. And for that reason, they're not sure what to believe. Thus, this present popular fad is sometimes serving to overthrow the faith of some. Somehow, a haunting suggestion from the ancient past ghostly comes to mind. Yea, hath God said, The trend that is contributing to the dilemma is uh, propagated or perpetuated by the well-learned and seasoned tradesmen and the novice alike. It can come from both areas. But it's not all of either one of those that do this. While they are intending or pretending to give deeper insight or to impress some, and I honestly think unintentionally, most of them anyway, are actually creating uncertainty and insecurity in the hearts of the listeners instead of building their confidence in the Word of God. Oftentimes, I've had my foundation jolted and shaken and unsettled by statements like, it says this in the King James Version, but they state with such authority and confidence and sometimes apparent self-satisfaction. In the original Greek, it says such and such and so and so. And with that, the seed of doubt has been planted. And I've been left to struggle with it. Now, while not entirely comfortable with the idea, I can actually appreciate 
a reference to the original word provided. That it gives strength to or embellishes a clear understanding of what I have in my long established text that I hold in my hand. But when their revelation is contradictory to what I have in my hand, it leaves me to wonder. When they say if it means, it leaves me to wonder this. If it means that in the Greek, then why, for my soul's sake, don't it say that in the English? There is more, my friend, to translation than just simply looking up the original word in a Hebrew, Greek lexicon or dictionary. There is much more than that. Then, on top of that, there is the situation of a well-respected minister of the Word of God taking for his text a reading from a Bible that reads different than mine. Or quoting for reference or proof one that reads entirely different than mine. Now, while comparing a particular verse among several versions, I have often found them to disagree with themselves if they didn't leave the verse out entirely. It's caused me to question, what's going on here? The Greek must really be hard to understand if these extremely knowledgeable, actually experienced, intellectually intimidating Greek linguistic scholars can't agree, then what good would it do a lowly peon like me to study the Greek? I'd like to clarify something right here. <coughs> Peon is derived from original wording, meaning a foot soldier, or a servant that is, uh, he's in servitude because of debt, or just a, uh, and so forth. Something, something like that right there. And uh, it's related to the word pawn the lowliest piece in the game of chess. It don't have the status of a knight or a bishop or a rook or a queen or a king. And for that reason, he's most likely to be the one sacrificed for the benefit of the others. Lowly. Now this is well illustrated by the saying, have you ever heard the saving, saying about beat around the bush? You ever heard that saying? Don't beat around the bush. Come on, get with it. And don't beat around the bush. Well, now that phrase, in olden days, when nobility 
would go out to go out boar hunting, they would take a servant, a peasant, along with them. And when they would come upon a bunch of bushes, they would send the servant in with a stick. And he used to go into the bushes and beat around and make noise and hopefully run the boar out where he can be speared or bow shot, whatever they choose to do. Now, the servant, sometimes when he figured he was safely out of sight of nobility, instead of going in the bushes, he would just beat around the bushes. So he wouldn't have to go in there with his dangerous beasts in hiding. Thus, the royalty would say, Go after him, servant, and don't feed around the bush. He's the one that's going to have to wait in there where that wild boar is. And these are dangerous animals. They're just a peon. So when I referred to myself as a peon, what I am saying is that when comparing myself to the scholarly with a big, long pedigree of degrees, I'm just among the ordinary common folk and the lowly one at that. <clears throat> In other words, uh, if it may be a new word, peon is not what it sounds like. It's just a lowly person. Okay? Lowly person. <clears throat> I think it's warm in here. Let's go on. And so, what good would it do a lowly peon like me to study the Greek? But let me say this. Thanks to the research, which is tediously hard work, and the help of other well-respected Equally able and very learned men. Some with credentialed with degrees and some that aren't. But my thanks to them, I have better come to better understand the nature of the current prevailing uh, circumstances, problems in the spiritual arena. Concerning the Word of God. And now, for the record, I'm not against learning Greek or Hebrew for that manner. I wish I were academically efficient in both of them. I really do. But what disturbs me most is that some who are and some who aren't insinuate or flat out state that my dear old English Bible is wrong. Terribly wrong. My thanks to them. 
For instead of doing their God-given job and responsibility and building my confidence in the Word of God, they've enlightened me to the fact that my long-time dear old friend is not trustworthy after all. Oh, wretched man that I am. What a dilemma I found myself in. But wait. Maybe I really do owe them sincere and genuine thanks. For if it had not been for them, I wouldn't or maybe never had applied myself to look into the history and the evidence behind all this modern-day confusion. Now, concerning our title, there are two aspects. Number one is the Bible. Someone has said the only real difference between the conservative and the liberal positions on the Bible is that the conservatives say that the Bible used to be inspired and inerrant or without error. The liberals say that it was never inspired or inerrant. There never was a time that it was inspired, never was a time that it didn't have any error. But both positions, the conservatives and the liberals, agree on this, that the Bible is not now inspired or without errors. The second aspect, the dilemma. I need a Bible in my language. The scriptures as ordinarily written, originally written, were Hebrew, a little bit of Chaldee, but mostly Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New. The problem is, I don't read, write, much less understand Hebrew or Greek. Someone would have to present it to me in English on the fly, or in other words, as they read it, for me to understand that. But woe is me. I could never remember it all. I'd have to have it written down so I can refer to it time and time again. But it would have to be written in my language. What's the common man to do? I would love, really I would, I would love to have a copy of the Scriptures that say exactly what God would have said if He'd had them originally written in English. Wouldn't you? 
I know I love that. Do we have such a Bible today? I fear that most people, even in apostolic circles, would agree with both the conservatives and the liberals. That is, that we do not have today, especially in the English language, a Bible that is inspired or without errors. Some I might stand behind the podium and pound for emphasis and shake her Bible in the air and say, this is the inspired Word of God till you talk to them privately. And they start coming up with this, but in the original Greek, but in the Hebrew, but, 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 it says different than this. So they'd say that we have no Bible in the English language that language that is without errors, let alone inspired. Do you see the dilemma that I am in? We have no Bible. But but do we? Inerrant? Obviously, think about it. This don't take a degree in theology to understand this right here. There was obviously only one copy of each original writing. Paul only wrote one letter to the Romans. There was only one original book of Acts written. There was only one original book of Genesis written. If another was written, it's not the original. Only the original is the original. Duh. And so, each gospel, each letter, each book has only one original. And that one original of each gospel, of each letter, of each book, no longer exists today that we know of. What's that do for your faith? That don't exist. So, what has been discovered so far are not the originals at all. <clears throat> but copies of the originals. Or most likely, copies of copies of copies of copies, etc. So on, so forth. Of the originals. And there are thousands of that. Thousands, folks. Thousands. We don't have a hundred people sitting in here this morning. I'm talking about literally thousands of manuscripts. Over 5,000 to be exact. Copies that testify that there was an original somewhere in the distant past. 
And to make matters worse, there are corrupted copies in the mix of discoveries. Copies that do not even agree with each other. And herein lies a great deal of the dilemma also. Now since all of these are copies, are there any that are true to the one original of each gospel, each epistle, letter, each book in the Bible? In other words, what I'm asking this morning, has God faithfully preserved His Word in written form in any language anywhere? That's what I'm asking. If not, of what real eternal value is any translation? Including this. Because... How do I know what part's really right? Point it out to me, friend. I need to know. How do I recognize the errors? Please tell me. I need to know what to avoid. I need to know what to highlight for reference and to cross out to ignore. Please tell me. Show me. I'm sincere. I want to know. So it might be a good book. But it's not free from errors. And the conservatives and the liberals are right. Inspired? When the first inerrant copy was made from each inspired original, did that second copy carry the authority of divine approval also? What I'm saying, when the first copy was made from the original and it was reproduced exactly, no errors, did it carry God's approval also? How about the ones that were faithfully reproduced from that copy? And so on. If not, there were a lot of uninspired or unapproved of God copies being used by our brothers and sisters in the early church there are over 5,000 of them that testify that they use them. Uninspired. They're uninspired even if they were exact, without error, reproductions. And above all, there's not one, not even one inspired copy in existence anywhere today. 
This zeroes in on the dilemma and poses some very serious questions. I need a Bible in my language. One that I can sit down and read. One that I can meditate upon, memorize, and try to delve in the depths of its understanding. I need one for myself. But what real assurance is there in any Bible translation? Which one do I place my confidence and rest or risk my soul's salvation upon? If it's not really God's Word, If it's not inspired, if it doesn't carry the weight of divine approval, if it's not approved of God, then tell me, brothers and sisters, of what real eternal value is this book? There's other men who have made wise sayings that people live by. This may be a good book. But it's only that and no more. And what's worse, the conservatives and the liberals are right. <laughs> but are they? The words of the Lord are pure words. Then you notice I have an ellipsis there. That means I've left out some of the scripture. I'm telling you ahead of time. I'm not taken away from the word of God. I'm just quoting the part that applies to what we want. That's what the three dots, the ellipsis stand for. It's to signify that there are words left out. You can go to your Bible if you believe it. in Psalms, and read the words that I have uh, left out this morning. The words of the Lord are pure words. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The psalmist has declared that God would keep or save from injury or destruction. He would save His Word from corruption or destruction altogether. He will keep His Word from being mangled and mixed. There will be a line of Scripture that are true to the original one. They are preserved. They are kept from being corrupted. 
X out and changed. And it would do that from the time of the psalmist forever. Hmm. Did he? Or, or maybe, we'll, we'll make allowance. Maybe God wasn't able to. God, it was God like, would have liked to have done that, but he just didn't. He wasn't able. Poor little fellow. Let me ask you a question. Was there seriously, really a lack of divine prevention, divine preservation of the Word over the centuries, divine protection? Does it mean to tell me, really and seriously, there was no divine protection of the Word throughout the millennia, the decades, the centuries? Really? God just cast it out and let it Serious? Wow. What a dilemma. What a quandary I'm in. The deterioration of manuscripts or the corruptions of men, whether intentional or unintentional, actually succeed in eliminating our access to the correct and divinely approved Word of God forever. Ted, I want to know. The Bible, is it without error? Is it really inspired? The dilemma, do we really have the Word of God today? How about these two statements by Dr. Bruce Lackey for digging in the hills and resisting the fiery darts of doubt? Faith which is based on a clear Promise. What clear promise we're talking about? To preserve His Word. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Clear promise. Proclamation. Faith that's based on that is stronger than objections which are raised by our lack of information. Objections are raised because of things we don't know. Or perhaps better stated is the facts that I cannot answer all the problems which have been raised does not affect my faith in the copy of God's Word which I possess. <clears throat> it's now left to be asked, gentle listener, Can we agree with Dr. Lackett? Please stay tuned for the next exciting episode of the Bible 
Good dilemma. Good health and God bless. Praise God. Would you stand this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in today. I pray that God has given you a blessing that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Come back for more great messages from Pastor Morrison and Calvary Apostolic Lighthouse.